This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. podcast to expand your idea of what is impacting the veterinary world, veterinarians, and all animal care professionals as humans. We are your co-hosts. I am Dr. Jen. And I'm Dr. Jason Chatfield. And if you are not yet a Vet Candy subscriber, why not? Please subscribe for free today at myvetcandy.com. You can also reach me with any message of love and positivity at my, at Jen at myvetcandy.com. Or me for all else important things at Jason at myvetcandy.com. So our topic today is dum, 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 parasitology. In other news, we still haven't solved the parasitology problem. No. We, like, no. I mean, we're trying. Every right? day. But every time we figure it out, like a parasite figures out a way around it. Isn't That's that right? That's their job. It is their job. Yeah, we're, all, we're all just trying to survive. I know. And so, Jason, I'm going to ask you if you remember, like, I'm sure that the news hounds don't know, but uh, we used to raise Old English Sheepdogs when we were growing up. Correct. Yep. Leonard was the best. Lady Leonard. Yeah. And Lord Irving. Uh, Leonard was the best dog ever. We might not be walking if it wasn't for Leonard. That's correct. <laughs> They're pretty tough to drag us around, right? You <laughs> yeah. might have learned to walk. Grab onto the dog. I ain't carrying you. That's right. Yeah, rough go of it in Texas. Yes. And, um, but when we would, I remember when we would bathe them, I mean, they would just have tons of ticks and it was just like, what happened? Yeah. Yeah. We just pulled them off. Move on. Yeah. Well, or we raked them off like in yeah. those floppy ears, right? Yeah, like in just, the ears. That's pretty gross, right? If you think I about know. it happening nowadays. It's nasty. I don't even remember fleas because they were small. Yeah. <laughs> ticks were big. And, um, yeah, because it know, wasn't like they were little things, a big gray and gorge grossness. Yeah. And you could directionally squish those, right? I mean, you tried, but. Yeah, you I, could. Yeah. I just it's tried like, to get out of the bathing duty as fast as I could, that's for sure. Yes, yes. But anyway, we digress to childhood here. We don't really know too much about ticks except uh, what we've just now mentioned. But luckily, as always, we invite into the Candyverse an expert on the topic. We did. That's right. So today we have the esteemed Dr. Catherine Duncan with us. Dr. Duncan, welcome to Another News. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. And um, it's by no accident that uh, we have you because we were remembering ticks because we're from Texas where they have ticks. Yes. And uh, ticks, you like ticks, don't you? I spend probably 18 hours of my day either talking about ticks, thinking about ticks, what we're going to do with all the ticks that we have currently. Well, we just finished. Yeah, you definitely. We just finished a huge national survey of ticks infesting dogs and cats. It's called Show Us Your Ticks. Yes. Show Us Your Ticks. That's hilarious. <laughs> yes. You have to admit, so, so I know, but I helped in my very own small way to uh, promote that because I thought it was fabulous. And you had to be very careful to enunciate clearly the name of the program or type right? it correctly yes. like i just did it was an interesting google search okay. yes <laughs> show us your ticks but yep. so show us your ticks is completed now people should not be submitting ticks to you guys anymore right correct it's just with coronavirus happening we didn't want that to bias which clinics were sending us ticks or yeah. what um oh, pet owners so we decided i mean we did it for a year and a half we got, yeah 
six, we're going to move on to the phase two of testing them for pathogens and we'll write that up and release that. It's just, there has never been a national survey of ticks on dogs and cats, which is kind of crazy to think about. Like you said, ticks are everywhere. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible. And so first of all, before, but hold on, before we get into it, Catherine, what what did you think of our tick prevention back in the day that we just described? Was it great or what? Put them into bath, rake them off. So it's actually really funny that you guys are talking about that. Dr. Little, my mentor at Oklahoma State University, tells the almost an identical story to the vet students. Oh, really? In Kentucky. And she said that that was what you did after dinner. It was really fun. You'd all sit around the bed, pick off the ticks, light them on fire on the deck. <laughs> see who could squirt at the fire. Oh, I want to. I want to be clear. I never said that was fun. That was that was crazy. <laughs> Jennifer, who thinks that kind of stuff is fun, I was not happy with that. It was gross. Mm-hmm. You partook, so you had to build in somehow. That's right. You had you, Jason. You were there, man. That's all I'm saying. I was there. So, do you hear her accent, Jason? No, I, yeah, I, I hear I do. no accent. I don't know what you're talking about. It's lovely, and so <laughs> she comes by it honestly. So tell us. What? Tell us where, what like, where, by, where you went to vet school. By it, honestly, you think people practice having a fake accent? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Some people may. See, right. they might. Okay, so tell us, so where did you go to vet school? So I grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee, right at the base of the Smoky Mountains. And I went to vet school there at the University of Tennessee. And I graduated in 2018, but I, um, I loved it. I really loved it. I came here just to study ticks and work with Dr. Little, but... I got interested in parasitology in vet school. I was matched randomly with the parasitologist there for a summer research program. We were studying um, worms, intestinal worms of wild turkeys, actually. It's a huge area in Tennessee. And so their populations were declining. And mm-hmm. the BYA worm, reached the out. Population or, the, or the turkeys? The turkeys. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> the turkeys. <laughs> yes. Excellent. <laughs> got to clarify. So, and so now you're at Okie State. Yes. But you're also working on a PhD. Yes. So my program is a little unique. So when I graduated vet school, I knew I wanted to do parasitology. And there's a residency program through the National Center for Veterinary Parasitology, mm-hmm. which I was here at Oklahoma State. But we are at multiple schools across the United States, mm-hmm. usually four, maybe sometimes five at a time. It's uh, industry sponsored. So I'm actually the BI resident. They sponsor my residency. Okay. And I you know, really restrictions or obligations to them. And so I'm at Oklahoma State. We have one at Kentucky right now. One just finished up at Iowa State. Oh, wow. Georgia, Louisiana. So I joined the program and is a PhD. So we all will finish with the PhD. And then following the four years, we're eligible to sit for boards. Wow. That's going to be a bit, that's a big four years coming up. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's a lot. In four it's years. a lot. It's a lot. So you have a particular interest in ticks. And I think, I think it's interesting that the number one thing that people will come to the veterinarian, they're worried about ectoparasites. It will be a tick because they can see it. But right. the most common thing that we all see is fleas. Well, you're in Florida, so fleas is definitely the major thing. We have an exercise we do with the vet students. It's kind of a trick question. Uh-huh. Day of lab, and we say, we list all these parasites, and we say, rank these what you think is most important from a veterinarian's perspective, and then rank them again most uh. important from an owner's perspective. And you're uh-huh. exactly right. The things they can see is what they care about, and it depends where you are. So up north, ticks, northeast mm-hmm ticks without a doubt because of Lyme disease and exosomes. Ooh, Lyme disease. <laughs> Lyme's a good one. We can talk about that a lot. 
Yeah, Jason. Jason, are you familiar with the Lyme disease? Yeah, listen, I'm way at the southern end of Florida. So you think half of our, three-fourths of our population doesn't come from the northern end of the United States there? We got lots of dogs traveling back and forth, right? So It's pretty amazing. Lyme is a a weirdly popular discussion down here. Like, it's a scary situation. Well, dog importation in general. There's a paper that came out, Jason Drake did, Mm -hmm. dogs from the south, mostly Texas and Oklahoma, to Colorado and the rise in heartworm disease they've seen diagnosing there. And if you went to a vet school that maybe heartworm disease wasn't preached upon as much as it is here in the South, it can be kind of a wake up call of, gosh, maybe I need a little assistance with what I need to do here. Yeah. Well, I think not just parasites, but even um, other infectious pathogens, because everyone's so mobile and everyone now takes their dog everywhere with them. I mean, the days of focusing on regionally specific pathogens, I think are long, long over. Because when you talk about lepto, we're not talking about lepto just in rural communities anymore, right? It's a totally ubiquitous organism. If you are living and have a dog, your dog is susceptible to lepto. <laughs> I mean, it's just 100%. It's the same thing with all these ectoparasites. If they're not on prevention, they're going to have them, right? Exactly. Well, you were yep. talking about uh, no more regional things. A great example is we had a tick recently introduced into the United States. Ooh, tell yeah. us. Like, we love it in Texas, right? We love the name. <laughs> of course it's, you do. Yes. It's known as the Asian longhorn tick or he Longhorn. <laughs> yeah. Hemophysalis longicornis. I talked over you when you were saying that cool name. That's okay. Hemophysalis longicornis. It's kind of a mouthful. It's a really beautiful tick. It can be mistaken for the brown dog tick. It's a brown tick and it has short mouth parts. Mm -hmm. 2017, they found it on a sheep in New Jersey and they're still tracking back. Wait, wait. They have sheep in New Jersey. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) I guess you may have to go a little deeper in, but yeah. (laughs) I didn't see that and on the Jersey Shore, Jason. <laughs> no, definitely not on Jersey Shore. You got to go awesome. inland more. Right, further inland. Okay, all right. So, yes. so, so mind blown. They got sheep in Jersey and the sheep had a weirdo tick. <laughs> yeah. And more importantly, you just use the words beautiful and tick right next to each other, which I found very interesting. Uh-huh. A beautiful tick. Really? I don't know. Well, have, did you Google it yet? Have you looked at no, it? No, I'm going to Google <laughs> it in a minute, but I'm still pretty sure I'm not going to call it beautiful. Did you well, Google I mean, it yet? <laughs> Each our own, right? Mm-hmm. I guess. No, it's great. You really <laughs> so it was okay, first so found there. Uh-huh. It was first found there. And then slowly more and more reports in the Northeast. Actually, through Show Us Your Ticks, we had uh, one submitted from a dog in Arkansas. And that's the farthest west that it's been wow. so far. It's a tick that produces um, the female does not require a male. Mm. We can just keep that life cycle going. Wow. Is that common in ticks? Uh, so there are some tick, other ticks that will do it, but hemophilus huh? is one of the main ones that's known. Wow. So other than it being a new tick that wasn't here, because it, it wasn't in the United States at all, right? Correct. It's considered and- invasive. Yeah. Okay. So it invaded us. It did. Yeah. And, but do we care? I mean, like, why do we care? Because we already have ticks, right? Right. Right. So the biggest thing for this tick is, it can devastate cattle populations. So when it does get more into the, the Midwest and it gets on these big ranges of cattle, it'll feed in groups and just can really decrease the production of these cattle. So Dr. Little will tell people that hopefully it takes longer to get over the Appalachian Mountains and slowly come. But uh, that's just, just by sheer numbers. Like yeah, sheer numbers. Wow. And they irritate and they're a nuisance. Yeah. And then because the females can reproduce without a male, 
Uh, it's really hard to break that life cycle. So if you're familiar with the cattle tick being mm-hmm. in Texas, Buophilus, yeah, Microplus. So that one, they were able to break the life cycle, some people say, because they did the dips and the walkthroughs on the cattle. Right. Yeah. This would be a lot harder to do that. So it would be hard to get rid of. So that's the direct effects, but there's a lot of indirect. It can be a vector of some pretty serious diseases in other parts of the world. So yeah. far, no animal has been associated with having heat longhorn tick and being infected with a, a um, vector porn disease. So wow. Bacteria are the big ones that they usually vector, but there are some viruses that are scary. In Japan, there's one in particular that Oof. known for. Oof. And so say the, say the parasites again, it's because I think it cut out. You, did you say Tyleria? Is, yes, is that's one, one of them you can do. Yeah. And then the virus, it's a Japanese okay. viral. It causes encephalitis in general, yeah. um, but it can wow. be pretty serious and cause disease in, in people. And so we want to watch for that. So there's a lot of surveillance on this tick. It's a big hot topic. <laughs> surveillance right on the tick. That's just a lot of surveillance on this tick. Got to watch right. it. Hey, we got to stay ahead of it. I get it. I know. I know what's so funny is like when you said uh, that we're hoping that it doesn't make it, it'll have trouble getting across the Appalachian Mountains. it's going to be hard to walk across the Appalachian Mountains. I'm like, what, like I see like a little (laughs) chick with like a little backpack and a little axe and like he's climbing the mountain. A little knapsack over his shoulder. Yes, a little chick knapsack. Oh my gosh, that is hilarious. That's what I'm picturing. But so do you think, but do people, because I know people go everywhere. Mm Mm-hmm. Do people bring ticks with them or is they it definitely animals or I think they, they predict, they hypothesize that it did come in shipment of animals. Likely mm. it definitely didn't cross the ocean. It didn't get in a little rowboat. Could you just see a little tick <laughs> in his little in tiny rowboat with its knapsack? <laughs> Right. Um, and it's because he, cause those mountains are coming. So I got to have my knapsack and my little pickaxe and <laughs> I'm going to have to hike it. Oh my goodness. That would be a super cute little plush. Somebody could mark it. Little here. Yeah, like Dallas plush. Yeah. Good luck marketing a plush tick. <laughs> Dude. Actually, we have some in the lab right I now. I mean, I don't, See? I don't doubt it. Right. I don't, I'm not sure you want to mass produce those though. Hey, well, the vet clinics love when we send stuff like that to them. We even make, Picks pins just because we wanted. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can send you some. If you like. Awesome. I love it. Love it. Show us your pins. <laughs> Jason's it's like, no, no. Jason says no. So you yeah, they likely came them. in on animals. Yeah, they came in that way. Yeah. So that's interesting. So you mentioned a virus and, uh, you know, I'm interested in policy. I worked on Capitol Hill and I worry about it. And there recently there was a congresswoman who passed away from this crazy disease that uh was tick-borne right it was the powassan the powassan virus powassan virus yeah what is that about so that is tick-borne it's not as common in north america as it is in other areas but it is very serious disease it's can cause encephalitis in humans and it is transmitted when the ticks feed through their salivary secretions it's something to look out for whenever you're it's a virus a lot of times with ticks, we care a lot more about bacteria. I think mm-hmm. in the veterinary world, because Lyme disease, rickettsia, there are viruses we need to be more aware of. A lot of research. It's an area that always needs more research. Yeah. So, um, so it's interesting that you say that uh, it, it spread with the saliva because, you know, growing up, we got ticks on us. You, you, know? you got ticks on you. I, I never <laughs> had a single tick on me. I don't know what you're talking about. 
Right. She was pulling him off the dog. Yeah, That's exactly. Right. She was getting down and dirty. I was like, no thanks, right? <laughs> well, anyway, so what I'm wondering is, is it like instantaneous? Like if the tick bites me, because most of the time you may not feel it like crawling. You Correct. Know? Yeah. And so, so if it bites me, does it like, boom, I'm done? No, no, you have some time. Ticks secrete quite a few things from the salivary glands. And one of them, like you said, sometimes you don't notice that they're feeding because they do secrete numbing agents anti-inflammatory agents. And so the welt takes a little bit longer to develop. So every agent that could be passed from ticks takes a different amount of time, but no, the okay. minute it attaches, it does not. Ticks actually feed and they regurgitate, feed, regurgitate. They're purifying that meal. They only want the protein. They don't need all of the liquid as much. Okay. So I'm so sorry, Dr. Duncan. Can we back up just a moment? Of course. So are you saying that the ticks are puking? into the person. You can say that, so yeah. They're, they're, are, are they suffering from bulimia? Like, what do we have They're very tics? efficient. Well, they're not they're, efficient if they got to eat it multiple times. <laughs> well, they're efficient vectors, I guess okay. I should. Because every time they take that meal and then they process it and regurgitate, they that's a chance where uh, agents may be able to pass down to the host they're feeding on. Ah, okay. They're efficient I in that way efficient in that way. Yes. yes. Awesome. Awesome. So we're going to take a quick break, folks. So uh, go take a very quick shower if you need to. Press pause. <laughs> if you're feeling a little creepy crawly with ticks puking everywhere. And uh, we're going to pay some bills. We'll be right back. That candy makes your life easier with scientific news, clinical updates, and expert lifestyle tips. Sign up for free at MyVetCandy.com and start making your life sweeter. We wear fur and we're damn proud of it. What? And our four legs and our tail and we go to the bathroom outside. Well, we may not be too proud of that. (laughs) Sniff around, then mark your spot right here. Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. All right. Thanks for hanging with us. So, we are here in the Candyverse with Dr. Catherine Duncan, who knows all about ticks and fleas and all kinds of parasites, but we've been focusing on the ticks. So the next time that you're playing Jeopardy and the question comes up, what eating disorder might ticks suffer from? Your answer is going to be, Jason? Bulimia. What is? got to put in the form of a question. I was just happy to know the answer. That's the third answer <laughs> I got right today. Yeah. What is bulimia? Because they got to puke the stuff out because they are efficient. Yeah. Maybe it's anorexia. I don't, I don't know. No, no. That's when you don't eat at all. That would be, ah. a, that would be the great tick because they would ah. never bite you. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. That tick so, may take over the world. That's right. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so, mountains first. so and we yeah. also, I mean, we did talk about fleas too. And so we're going to talk a little bit about like how to prevent these things. Cause I've already established that I don't want ticks and I don't want fleas. Right. And I think what's interesting is that it's only like with fleas, it's only recently that you parasitologists got it together, right? And figured out that it's not the animal's bed that's the source of the fleas. It's the animal. 
right? And so it was in the late 80s. It wasn't, it was like 1985. Like that was recent. That's a long right. time. I mean, that was actually a long time. 85, that's not recent. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something in 2001. 85? Listen, they identified bacterial parasites like lepto in like God. the early, eight, like 1900s or late 1800s. Ridiculous. What, right. They didn't know fleas. Like you can see fleas without a microscope. So anyway, so I think that's crazy. And, uh, but now, so we have a whole new approach to prevention, right? And so, you know, here on In Other News, we avoid saying brand names. So we won't say any brand names, but we can certainly talk about those compounds that people use for fleas and ticks because we have a, a lot of them, right? Um, a lot of great options, yes. Yeah. Yes. And so, and some of them do fleas and ticks, right? Correct. Yes, they do. I think that mentioned that we slowly figured out I think we're always figuring stuff out yes. <laughs> quit figuring things out um, <laughs> but yes so fleas have always been I've heard stories of how people used to do the flea bombs in their house they would bomb the house yeah. with the really strong chemicals to get rid of them. yes so why now we target the animal is more so because if you break down the time a flea spins it's, if you break down the day of a flea Oh, a day in the life of a flea. Yeah, let's do that right now. Now, is this a flea that's in the circus or is it just regular? This is a flea that's in a home in Florida. Let's say that. Okay. All right. Okay. Or okay. Louisiana. Yeah. Okay. Why is it always got to be Florida? I don't... <laughs> the Southern <laughs> because flea. Because you guys are famous. It's uh, a Southern flea. I love. So we joke all the time. This is a little bit of a thing. Dr. Little and I joke all the time. We're very proud Oklahoma is so full of parasites. I mean, we <laughs> that and so florida and us have this relationship of who's uh-huh. gonna have the more who's when we do studies which states gonna come out first <laughs> we always are quite excited when oklahoma comes out <laughs> i would I, yeah i would imagine florida would win all of that but uh I can't yeah. oklahoma, no, is um, oklahoma is up there and we are we're proud of that it's job security first off and so <laughs> it's it's just the right climate that's really it, yeah yeah, but you, so I didn't please, think y'all had an, any water up there in, uh, you know, in Oklahoma. But, um, but we have <laughs> some lakes, humidity. But okay, so flea. Yeah. Go ahead, flea. The day in the life of a flea, its life cycle in general, it actually is spent mostly in the environment. It's just how we target it now is that if an animal has a drug going through its system and the adults feed, then you will kill that animal. And there's a lot of drugs now that actually have insect growth regulators and whatnot in them as well. So then when Mm -hmm. they do lay an egg, those eggs either can't hatch out of the eggs or they can't develop onto the next stage. Because of that, that's how we can cut it off so much is these amazing compounds. And why fleas were so hard to control before is because we weren't targeting their meal source. Now we target the meal source and we can cut it much. So we poison their food. We do. We right. do exactly what it is. Yeah. Awesome. All, you know, awfully has got to eat, right? Mm-hmm. So. They do. They do. It's, yes. It's better than um, what did dad still says this is like some of the, like a permethrin. He'll say, mm-hmm. that's not going to work. It just makes the fleas feet hot. <laughs> so they jump off. I like that. The <laughs> that's what he says. Oh my God. I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. permethrins or pyrethrins. So pyrethrins were the first class and permethrins mm-hmm. are synthetic version of that. They're just a little more persistent. Those mm-hmm. are considered repellents. So they're usually topicals. They're uh, regulated by the EPA. So they can yeah. be sold in pet stores and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, go systemic. So that's why the ah. FDA doesn't have to be involved. So okay. our 
compounds that do go into their bloodstream are considered going systemically, they have a little bit more potency. The animal does, or the parasite does have to feed to get that drug. So yeah. you have a dog with flea allergy dermatitis. Oh, that's bad. The flea still has to bite to get the drug. Yeah. Repellents are really great. You can use a repellent along with another drug. So isoxazole. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, but you know what? So this brings up something else is because I actually didn't realize that about the flea prevention that goes systemically is that they still have to get bit, but yes. that makes perfect sense. Right. And, uh, the other thing is I always thought that tick prevention, I thought that was the kind of the rub with tick prevention. The tick had to bite in order to get treated and die and fall you're off. Correct. Yeah. And, and don't we want to prevent the bite? Because if they bite my dog, haven't they already given them the disease? It depends on the disease. I hinted earlier that all the different disease agents have different amount of times to transmit that disease agent. So yeah. a lot of times when they release these new classes of drugs, they do release a uh, speed of kill. So you can look uh, that up on the drug find speed of kill. So then you can understand how quickly these ticks will die. So for instance, my dog is on an isoxazoline and I live in a pretty woodsy area. So I will see a dried up dead little tick hanging on to her fur every once in a while. And it's not that, <laughs> I know that. And I just, dried, very dried up dead little, like you had, like you had some, dead little tick. You almost had some empathy for that tick, right? I know. Right up, the poor guy. Man, he, he had a hard life. He really did. <laughs> just dried him right up. All <laughs> Your tick just dried right up over there. <laughs> That's funny. It's That's funny because you would think as a parasitologist, we would have a lot of empathy for parasites because we study them and you yeah. get to know them. But at the same time, the other joy of our job is killing them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Protecting our clients, which are the pets. Yes. We're lucky to have these drug classes. I mean, there are concerns. Isoxazolines, you guys may have seen in the news. There's, I guess, warnings and alerts out for them about if an animal is susceptible to seizures, any sort right. of project, you likely be very cautious prescribing isoxazolines. But in general, right. they're extremely safe. And mm -hmm. there's some reports out or just articles written that you should never use them and you should avoid them. But I think if yeah. you have that veterinarian client patient relationship and you know that the pet doesn't have an increased susceptibility to seizures, you should yeah. feel confident in, in yeah. an isoxazoline. It's an amazing drug. It works very well. So what about those ticks? Because I've been, people have told me before that there's been a house infested with ticks. Is that true? Does that happen? Like, what do they eat? Like stucco and drywall? I mean, <laughs> what happens? That would be very scary if they did. Now, they're all ticks are like the blood feeders that we have here in North America. And so what there's a brown dog tick. It's Ripicephalus uh, sanguineus. And the brown dog tick loves uh, being inside. It prefers that climate. And so, <laughs> it's like the brown dogs. <laughs> yeah, so it's funny. I, I make that joke sometimes. Not that they prefer brown dogs. It's right. that prefer dogs and the ticks happen to be brown. So the brown dog ticks like that environment. So you'll see kennels just infested hundreds of thousands. They prefer the dog at every blood meal. So when they hatch as eggs, right, uh, their larvae, and then they feed, and then they molt to nymphs. They feed, mm -hmm. and then they molt to adults. And mm -hmm. at each molt, they have to feed prior to molting. Oh, and my gosh. Other ticks like small mammals prior mm -hmm. to finding a dog or cat as an adult. But the brown dog tick likes the dog for larva in the nymph stages as well. How long can ticks live without feeding on something? So it depends on the tick as well, but some ticks, they'll go into kind of a diapause state uh -huh. and they 
a year or two. Oh my lord! Okay, a here's year? something I hear a lot since we're going into all these crazy questions yes. about ticks. We kind of diverged <laughs> that. Listen, I got this tick. I'm not dirty. My dogs are taken care of. This tick got on me from a tree. It fell off yeah, me. Yeah, it off fell a tree. on me. Yes. That's a yeah. And what do you think? Do, I, do great... I just say? Do I just throw the flag on that, or can that actually actually happen? So nice. that is a, I think we all think that happens, but I promise you ticks don't fly down from trees. That's a huge myth we're always trying to bust. They may be on a leaf that's on a branch that you rub up. They're also quite quick. So Lone Star ticks or Amblyoma americanum, they are considered hunter ticks. They will chase after you and you won't even know that they're near you. We're going to have to change the subject because that's starting to really bother me. <laughs> I first ticks are coming off of trees. Then they're hunting me down after they come across the mountain with a backpack on. This is all after they cross the ocean. These things are scary. Yes, but this is yeah. – you, you know what it's called, Jason? This is one of my favorite tick characteristics. Like, tell us about questing. Questing is, is how they find their host. So on the, the last pair of legs, they have these – it's called a howler's organ, and it's their last appendage on their first pair of legs. And it's how they detect that we're there. So what they'll do is they'll climb up on a blade of grass and they will put this first pair of legs out and they sit there and that howler's organ senses our carbon dioxide emissions. They sense shadows. And that's how they know that we're there to then let go and... And, and, ch and chase after us. Yeah, and chase after well, us, right? That's so, what you're going to say, but you don't want to say it. And ch come running after us and jump on us and give us terrible diseases. Man. The lone star tick chases you. A lot of the other ticks will quest and wait. They're a bit more patient. Oh, good. I like that. Oh, more patient. More mm -hmm. patient. Those ticks. <laughs> that is crazy. All right. So we talked a whole lot about ticks because we know they're your favorite. And we talked some about fleas, but there's a, there's a whole other system that gets parasites, right? Well, actually there's several, but the gastrointestinal system gets a bunch of parasites, doesn't it? A lot of parasites. I think that's one of probably the biggest focus out of the majority of veterinary clinics is preventing and treating gastrointestinal parasitism, especially in young dogs. There was a cute little jingle that we were taught in vet school. It was two, four, six, eight, pyrantal pamoate. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> yes. I hear that one. You know, we, so so we were taught a jingle too. Yeah. Oh yeah, what is the it? Pole. The barber pole. So like, do you know this one about homunculus? I don't think I do. Okay. So um, shout out to Dr. Tom Craig, who was our parasitology professor, and he would do the little dance. We will not do it. But he would say, uh, homunculus contortus, the barber pole worm. It causes edema, the bottle jaw term. Yeah. There's it. more to it, but she forgot it. So did I. But I'm impressed she actually remembered that. Vet school for her was like 30 years ago. So very Come good for on, her. Come on, Jason. It was yeah, not 30 years ago. Okay, but anyway, cool. yes. So it, it's funny. I guess all parasitologists are like, you know, closet rock and roll wannabes or something. I don't know. We've got to make it fun. And we find it fun, obviously. We wouldn't talk about it as much as we did if we didn't. That's right. Get that engagement. And that's how they get it. Is we just come off just a little bit interesting. Yeah. <laughs> just a little bit A little bit more interesting. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yes. It is so. Uh, well, listen, we got bulimic ticks, right? We got yeah. ticks that are questing, and we got hunter gatherer. I mean, I'm very, very don't want to go anywhere now. I'm gonna stay in the basement. We can, we can stay. We can move on to the worms that suck blood out of the. Yeah, let's talk about those that stuff that's yes. in my intestines. Okay, great. Let's talk about the guts. Let's talk about the, the guts. So yes. we, um, I think gastrointestinal parasites we do kind of put them more towards the younger animals because we yeah. a lot of them can be transferred transmitted transplacentally or transmammary 
but yeah. there are parasites in the world. I mean, they're ubiquitous, right? So there was a, a big national study done between a few people. We all collaborated. We went to 288 dog parks last summer and we tested the feces of dogs that were visiting these dog parks. And it was an, it was amazing results. We saw one in five dogs had a parasite and 85% of the parks had parasites. And I mentioned this, but it is kind of amazing. It was just 85%. And we, there's a reason we think that this may, you think about it, we went to these dog parks one time. It was a snapshot. Yeah. One yeah. time, 10 dogs at the park. So there's definitely a chance that they, these numbers should be higher. Right. Yeah. Or they could be lower, depending on the. Nope, I, I, really, I doubt they're lower. <laughs> they probably right. are higher, right? So here's the moral of that story for me. Why, like, I wouldn't take my dog to a dog park. So that's something too. We're trying not to scare people. It's more about being. If you're going to take your dog to a dog park, be as prepared as when you take your dog to go board. So when you board your dog, you may decide we got to make sure they have influenza or Bordetella vaccine. Yeah, both, not or. Both. Watch out now. And so then if you if you want to go to a dog park, you do need to make sure that they are on a preventive for gastrointestinal parasites. Mm -hmm. And I thought so Giardia was the most common. I was gonna say, what was the most common that you found? Giardia was the most common. It was in 13% of the dogs, which seems like a low percentage, but when you break down, we sampled three thousand dogs. So Giardia was the number one, followed by hookworms, not surprisingly, then whipworms. Roundworms, we didn't have. We had roundworms. We definitely found roundworms, but it was a low percentage. And that likely has to do, if you think about the age group that's going to dog parks, yeah. people know they shouldn't be taking their puppies to the mm -hmm. dog park. Um, I hope people know. But you know what? Also, I think you can see roundworms. <laughs> I mean, like if your dog has roundworms, you're seeing that and you are freaking out, right? Because that's the big oh, question. Yeah. If you show up and you say, my dog has worms, I'm like, do they look like rice? Or do they look like spaghetti? I mean, these are the two choices, right? I think that's a great way to ask that. Yeah, because those are the only two you can see. Yes, I had a friend recently that um, is dealing with a dog that has roundworms. And it is, it, they are large enough that you do see them. And when they pass out, and that's a great example to get owners to go on a preventive as well. We asked a question at the dog park study um, have they ever been diagnosed with parasites before? And we found it was statistically significant. They were more likely to be on a preventive if they had been diagnosed with the parasite before. So showing them those fecal results of the eggs or seeing worms in the feces, they are way more likely to buy a preventive and keep their pet on a preventive when you can show them. Well, yeah, nobody wants to see that. Plus people are just <laughs> embarrassed, right? They go have their dog goes to the bathroom with someone else and they, everyone sees that. They're like, oh, oh, you don't even take care of your pet. That's gross. I know. But you know what? We have focused on dogs, but cats. Cats. A lot I mean, of parasites as well. Tons of parasites, right? So many, so many. So they get ticks just as commonly as dogs do. They get intestinal worms just as commonly as well. Roundworms are one we see in cats pretty often. A lot of Giardia in cats as well. Yeah, um, and can you debunk something for me? So the Giardia that you're finding in the dog, has there ever been a case of that Giardia that a dog has infecting the human? In, the, in North America, there has never been a case of the dog Giardia infecting a human. So Giardia has different genotypes. And right. we can pass our genotypes to dogs and cats, though that is rare. Yeah. yeah. Dogs have certain genotypes and even cats. So even dog and cat Giardia is actually different. So because there's a whole lot of veterinarians that I run into and they think 
that Giardia is passing through all these different species, you know, and they're sharing it. And I'm like, big N-O. I mean, you still should wash your hands and not lick the dog poop, right? <laughs> For other reasons. But it's not because of the Giardia is a big threat, right? Correct. If you have Giardia as a human, you likely in got, North it America, from a, got it from another another person <laughs> yeah no, why, why did y'all want to say that it's funny you got it from you, yeah that's because you got it from another human that's oh it. nasty it's you know what it's like the covid if you got covid you likely got it from another person right, right? there you go exactly i would say giardi is nothing like covid and fecal oral yeah, is nothing like uh you know covid well they found covid in feces of those cats oh no of course just saying of course. Yeah. Just so, so cats get GI parasites too, right? Which is another thing. Like a lot of cat owners don't realize that even if your cat is a hundred percent indoors, you know, they, they, they need to be still, on parasite. We showed that in the show us your ticks paper. Actually, a lot of cats are reported as a hundred percent indoors and mm -hmm. we obviously had ticks submitted from them. They wow. had on us, on other animals, and we'll just seek out whatever host is closest. Yeah, well, that's not, you know, after listening to this, that's not too surprising, right? With the, <laughs> with the, little, the little army things, the, the questing and the running after. I'm not surprised at all. I yeah. Picture, I picture I'm pretty sure they can fans. open doors now, right? And, they and may. Arms and everything, right? They're moving. Yeah. Another great example of that is heartworm in cats. So cats do get heartworm. Mm -hmm. As great of a host as dogs, so they rarely have microfluidic. Wait, so does that mean they're rude to their guests? They are very <laughs> rude to their guests. <laughs> Proud yeah. of those cats. That's right. Yeah. But so, they, mosquitoes do come inside. Mm -hmm. And you need to protect your pets, cats, just as much as dogs. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and didn't I read that now that we're thinking, or they, you know, they, I'm using air quotes, news hounds, <laughs> they have now, they're thinking that all these asthmatic cats that we're seeing, those may be cats that actually have heartworm that's undiagnosed. So the most common presenting complaint on a cat with heartworm disease is suspected feline asthma. So the syndrome is called HARDS. It's heartworm-associated yeah. respiratory disease syndrome. And mm -hmm. they will look a lot like as if their radiographs uh, will look like they have asthma. Yeah. But you can do testing of cats for heartworm is a little tricky. We don't have the best options. You can't, they very rarely have microfilaria. So you right. yeah. Yeah. a NOx test or looking for that, mm -hmm. it would just be a waste. And microfilaria yeah. is the little worms in the blood that we can sometimes see on a, on a slide. On just Correct, a yes. Blood. Yeah, yes. in dogs, you can see that a lot of times, but in cats, they just don't see so that. I think you just long. said it. Is there a test that, that veterinarians should, should look for? There's just not a reliable way to diagnose uh, feline heart So there are a few tests, usually antigen and antibody, but an all antibody tests, right? It just, it gives you information, but then you have to decide how are you going to- Yeah, it's a contextual test for sure. information. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can it have makes... antibodies just because you've been exposed. Right. You don't have to be. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. So the, the lifespan of a heartworm in a cat is considerably shorter. So in a dog untreated, a heartworm can live six, seven years in a cat. It's just a couple years and we don't have an FDA approved drug adulticide to kill the adults in cats. So it's, it's considered the slow kill. You're going to put them on a macrocytic lactone and slow kill those worms and treat yeah. the respiratory disease. So antigen's great. If you can get an antigen yeah. positive, the antigens secreted by the worms, mostly by the females. Right. If, you so have if they don't females, have a female worm in the heart, then... Correct. 
You're yeah, done. It's, like, it's like a PCR negative. It doesn't mean much if you get negative. So right. positive right. is great, but a negative is not, not necessarily right. negative. Exactly. It's not the best thing to roll out. So with cats, we say you should use uh, radiographs and echocardiograms. You can see the worms um, uh-huh. in the pulmonary vessel. That, oh, yeah. Yeah, the pulmonary artery. They look like railroad tracks. I've seen that. I like, you know, on a video. Yeah, like I, I yeah. wasn't doing it, obviously. <laughs> <but> <laughs> what are you talking about? I know, like people, her eyes got really big, like, whoa! She, she did, like, what? Really? Wow. But, no, 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 it's no. amazing when you do see it, because you just yeah. don't see it that often, or the yeah. client doesn't elect to... To do the echo. But you, mm-hmm. but, but it's preventable. It is. It is. And that's it's preventable. Start from the beginning, right? Yes. That's why cats, even 100% indirect cats, need to be on parasite prevention. They need to go to the vet and get vaccinated, and then they need to be on parasite prevention, right? Hey, you're, 100%. you're preaching to the crowd right now. That's right. That's right. I am. My soapbox is out. I'm standing <laughs> on top of it. You know, I love prevention. We um, should add it needs to be year round. Year round. It's out all months of the year. We've shown that many times. Mm hmm. Um, gastrointestinal parasites some are quite hardy and they can go through freezing of soil and will be right there to be infective whenever the dog comes by do you hear that jason quite hardy quite hardy (laughs) i I was like i thought she said freezing and i didn't know what you were going to ask me because i haven't seen a freezing temperature in you know forever (laughs) i know i'm very proud of that too we don't live up there in oklahoma where it's where it gets cold that's right it can yes no not it can it does (laughs) that's right okay so what is the craziest thing that you ever heard, whether you heard it yourself or like a referring vet told you, craziest thing a client has said they have tried to, for parasite prevention, whether it's fleas or ticks or what have you, what's the craziest? Oh my goodness. I've definitely heard a lot, but they seem to be repetitive. It's usually, yeah. it's, I've never heard anything so far left field that I want to personally call them and <laughs> track that down. Yeah. I think I hear a lot more for ticks than intestinal parasite control. Of course, there's so many, the diametaceous earth, I think is one big for GI parasites. But for ticks, you hear the, put nail polish on them, uh, Vaseline. Right, on the tick. tick is feeding. The ticks are already there, people. Yeah. (laughs) So so here's to light them on fire. So what about garlic? Like, oh, I feed my dog garlic so he doesn't get parasites or doesn't get fleas or whatever. Right. I've heard garlic for flies quite often. Mm. And I don't know if there's a lot of science behind that yet. There's been more and more science trying to do uh, essential oils. There's papers out there for repellency of essential oils. And I think it's just certain people, the lifestyle, modern lifestyle of a lot of people right now is trying to put their pet into their lifestyle. And I think it's great to take that much interest in your pet, but I think it's also great to listen to your veterinarian. Oh, listen to your veterinarian, right? Tea tree oil, no. Yeah, no, for whatever reason, chemicals and drugs are being vilified a little bit in, yeah, in popular yeah. culture. So, and they're uh, totally, they're, they're safe. If they're labeled, right. then they're safe. They're There's still- a reason it costs so much money in the beginning because they got to spend all that money oh. to make sure they're safe. So, yeah. The safety trials on these drugs is amazing. Right. What mm-hmm. To be safe, uh, be considered safe by the FDA. Now, that doesn't mean that, like, don't send us hate mail because you witnessed an <laughs> adverse reaction to one of these products when you were using it for your pet, right? It doesn't mean it doesn't happen, but it means that it's, it's fairly unlikely. It's right. fairly you, can send, you can send Dr. Jen some hate mail. That'd be fine. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, tea tree oil, used motor oil. Um, <laughs> right? for, motor for, oil. 
for for mange and for fleas and ticks. Yeah, it's very um, useful. Yeah, like the garlic, the tea tree oil. I'm trying to think of any other crazy stuff I've heard. Just crazy stuff. And I'm like, you know, can you just just buy the stuff? I know it would be it would be great. And I think there's a responsibility as a pet owner to prevent these infections. Yeah. Because if your pets are infected, you're spreading potentially spreading that you're the source, you're the reservoir. Mm-hmm. There's quite a few GI parasites in dogs and cats that are considered zoonotic. So that's a public health concern. It's a big public health concern. Yeah. And hookworms are everywhere. Um, They, especially in Florida, Oklahoma, um, but they're everywhere. In that study we found, hookworms Mm -hmm. are the second most parasite we found. And so those are. Those are zoonotic, and if you're going to the dog park, I'll recommend wearing closed-toed shoes. Or the beach. <laughs> or, the, <laughs> or, the or the beach. That's a the big deal. Oh, that's a big yeah. one. Yeah. Huge deal. Beach and yeah. Because beach is really close to litter box. Very close. Oh, so close. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. So, yeah, and um, you know what I find interesting? Do you guys know what's on the EPA website, what they tell you to do for flea control in your pet? Anybody? No. Yeah, Google it. Not motor oil. No. (laughs) They tell you that you can vacuum your house twice a day. Yeah. (laughs) You can vacuum your house for twice a day for the rest of your life. Yeah, you can, right? That's good. I'm not sure it's going to do anything for that. Yeah, yeah. So um, anyway, well, this has been an incredible conversation. Um, Dr. Catherine Duncan, who's currently at Oklahoma State, but she hails from the great state of Tennessee. And thank you so much for joining us here in the Candyverse. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, it was wonderful. Great. And I suspect we'll have you back because now that we know all about, all about bulimic ticks and <laughs> questing ticks and ticks that don't eat stucco, <laughs> but they can infest your house. I mean, there's just too much to talk about with parasites. Fleas, ticks, GI parasites, you all forgot, of them. You forgot the most important scary one, the hunter ticks. You got, I mean, come the on. The Lone Star Tick will hunt you down. That's right. The Lone Star Tick will. It's kind of like the Texas Rangers, right? They'll hunt you down. That would be a great meme. Somebody should make that. Somebody should make that meme. That's right. Hey, that's what we do here on In Other News is we offer the ideas for the memes. (laughs) And then we wait for the internet to respond. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, thanks so much for joining us. And as always, signing off from the cottage at the farm, I'm Dr. Jen. Yep. As always, I'm from the basement. I'm Dr. Jason. And we'll look forward to seeing you again. You can follow us on social media at MyVetCandy, or you can find us by email. And we'll see you on the next episode of In Other News. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.